I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Oh, we're still here in the middle of the Easter season, uh, fourth week of Easter, and today we're going to be talking about the power of a story. Now, if you're a regular listener, you remember a couple of weeks ago, it was just you and me. We didn't have any guests that week. And, and we started off talking about the power of a story. We talked about, uh, I woke up that morning, right? It, it, which I do every morning. That's, a, that's how I know it's going to be a good day, right? So uh, I woke up that morning with this scripture passage rolling about in my head uh, out of the book of Revelation, Revelation 12, 11. And it's talking about Uh, those saints who are before the throne of God. And it says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, right? So uh, put another way, uh, they overcame by the grace of God, right? That was poured out on the cross through his blood, uh, overcame by the grace of, of God and the power of their story, right? There's power in the, in the story. Uh, now, how much power? Uh, I That's what we're going to explore. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we had this conversation. Last week, we talked with Mark Shea about uh, the new apostolic exhortation from Pope Francis because uh, everybody in the world was getting sidetracked by it. So we needed to have just a little bit of conversation. If you missed that episode, it was a great one. Uh, you can get it at OutsideTheWalls.com. Right, right there in the episode archives. By the way, that's completely redesigned. Well, not completely, but it's it's reordered so that it's easier to get around. Uh, and you can even find a new link there now. Uh, I am now brand new, a uh, a blogger. Oh my! Now, <laughs> those of you who have been around for a while, you uh, you know how often I used to update things. You're like, now you're going to write to? Yeah, whatever. But no, no, really, I, uh, I'm on the Pathios Network. We had enough uh, Pathios bloggers on this show. I felt I should become one of them. Uh, so I'm going to start writing there. Uh, really, this is all just an attempt to get you to talk to me, right? Because I throw out every week, every week I throw out, hey, join me in our conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Yeah, remember this, right? Or on Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls, and nobody ever does. So uh, I figure, well, the best way is uh, to to get conversation is to rile people up uh, in a blog. So we're going to do that as well uh, as a companion piece to this show. Uh, the blog is called A Belief Observed. Because all of our belief, as we're living outside the walls, it ought to have implications. It ought to affect the way we live. Uh, and so you can get that over the Pathios Network, pathios.com. Uh, or you can find a link to it. Guess where? That's right, outsidethewalls.com. So uh, later in the show today, we're going to talk with another Pathios blogger. See how this works? This is how this works. It's synergy. I'm, I'm making the hand motion. It's synergy. Uh, <clears throat> we're talking with another Pathios blogger uh, and future future Breadbox Media host, Jonathan Ryan. He is a uh, uh, an author. He was a pastor for 12 years, came into the Catholic Church, uh, and now he works as an editor over at Ave Maria Publishing in South Bend, Indiana, uh, and is an author himself in his own right, both uh, of crazy fiction. Uh, we're going to talk today about the power of a fictional story and how it can have an impact on our nonfiction lives. 
Uh, so we're going to talk with Jonathan about that storytelling. He's also a blogger uh, on the Sick Pilgrim blog. And the Breadbox show coming up here soon is the Sick Pilgrim Medicine Show, where he will be a co-host of that show. So we're looking forward to that. We'll talk to him uh, really right after the uh, in, in the next break. Uh, and so um, as we get there, before we get there, uh, today we're talking about the power of fiction, right? And it's also happens to be the feast day today. Today is the feast day of St. George. Uh, if you don't know who St. George is, uh, St. George is a, a martyr. Uh, he is uh, the saint attributed with killing the dragon, St. George and the dragon. Now, a lot, a big portion of his story, obviously, uh, from the time that he lived and the kinds of feats that are given to him are uh, legendary. Uh, maybe even a little bit of myth, a little bit of uh, of fiction rolled in there. And yet, even those parts tell us something incredibly profound. And so we're going to get to that uh, probably towards the end of the show. There's a, a reading from Church History I want to get to that talks, basically it's a, a really short summary of the life of St. George. But right now I want to read uh, this beautiful little snippet from uh, G.K. Chesterton. We talked about him last week. We read uh, a little bit out of his essay, The Catholic Church and Conversion, that he wrote in 1926. This that we're reading today comes from a book, uh, Tremendous Trifles, and it is his treatise, his uh, treatment of fairy tales. And he's answering the question of some of whether or not fairy tales are too frightening for children. And he says this, The timidity of the child or the savage is entirely reasonable. They are alarmed at this world because this world is a very alarming place. They dislike being alone because it is verily and indeed an awful idea to be alone. Barbarians fear the unknown for the same reason that agnostics worship it, because it is a fact. Fairy tales, then, are not responsible for producing in children fear— or any of the shapes of fear. Fairy tales do not give the child the idea of the evil or the ugly. That is in the child already, because it's in the world already. Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of the boogeyman. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of the boogeyman. The baby has known the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. Exactly what the fairy tale does is this. It accustoms him for a series of clear pictures to the idea that these limitless terrors had a limit. That these shapeless enemies have enemies in the nights of God. That there is something in the universe more mystical than darkness and stronger than fear. So here we have the power of stories, not just of our own testimony, of our own journey through life, but of overarching themes of the journey, right? Of, of what it means for, for us to go out into the unknown and to face the unknown and to, de to defeat the unknown. Uh, and so here we're given this picture of, of why fairy tales are important by GK Chesterton. Later, we're going to talk about the saints, uh, and, and, even those saints that have mythologic qualities to their stories, we read them online and we read them in books. We're like, Oh gosh, that never happened. Right. Well, even so, uh, even if some parts of that real person's life were uh, <laughs> embellished with a bit of fantasy, those stories, while they may not be factual, they can still be very true. They can teach us something very true. Uh, you know, 
I'm struck by uh, this phrase of Jesus that that you hear a lot, uh, and specifically, uh, I, I tend to hear it from those who are uh, much more, uh, not even fundamentalist, but those who are who are much more. Hey, the answer is always in the Bible, uh, and, and they say, you know, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me." And they set Jesus up kind of as this gatekeeper that if uh, if you don't recognize that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, by golly, you don't have the stamp on your hand and you're not getting in. And I read this a lot differently and I don't remember where I first got it, but it's this picture of Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now you've experienced this. I know that there are some points in time in your life where you're not really interested in the truth, right? You're just looking for a way. Uh, There are some times where you're really searching for the truth. And there are sometimes where really a, a prescribed way or even uh, an objective truth is too much for you. Uh, I don't even want to think about that right now, but, but I do want to find life. And so what I hear Jesus saying in that is it doesn't matter what stage of life you are, what part of life you are. Uh, I, I am that place for you, right? You can find the place in me right where you are, uh, and through that, we'll get you to the Father, right? So here we have these stories that draw us in when maybe the truth is too harsh for us right now. You know, that whole, you can't handle the truth. Well, it's true sometimes. We can't, uh, we need the, the, the compassion and not necessarily the black and white hard facts. And so in those times where maybe nonfiction is too much for us, there is still goodness and there is still uh, a, a way and life that we can find uh, toward Christ. They draw us towards Christ, uh, but we can find these things in, in stories. And so I want you to tell me uh, a story, a fictional story. Tell me a story that really made an impact in your life. Now, I always want you over at my social media, but but I don't want to do this there because 140 characters really isn't enough to tell me the name of the, the story. It can be a, a long story, a book, a short story, uh, anything along those lines. But you can't give me both the name and the impact that it made in those, those 140 short characters. Uh, and Facebook is just a little bit trickier. Uh, because of the way that uh, the settings are for our show page. But what I want you to do is I want you to give me a call. Got a brand new number. Hey, it's really easy to remember. It's 252-OTW-SHOW. That's 252 outside the walls. Uh, show, OTW show. Or if you're a, a numerical person, that's 252-689-7469, 252-689-7469. Give me a call. Tell me about a fictional story that made an impact in your nonfiction life. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Jonathan Ryan, purveyor of strange fiction, uh, editor over at uh, Ave Maria Press, and uh, blogger and show host. Oh, man, this guy's got everything going on. Join my conversation over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you think. Be a part of that conversation. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with author 
editor, uh, show host, father, sick pilgrim, and purveyor of odd fiction and a medicine show. Uh, John, Jonathan Ryan, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me on. So I did a little bit of research on you today. Uh, we've talked several times recently because you're about to start hosting the Sick Pilgrim Traveling Medicine Show uh, on Breadbox Media, uh, and you can find that at breadboxmedia.com. And all I can think of is the, you know, I have six children, so all I can think of is uh, the Pete's Dragon and Passamaquoddy, right, with the, yes, with exactly. the medicine show. Uh, well, that's, and that, that's, uh, Jess loves that, uh, my my co-host and co-founder of Sick Pilgrim, she she loves that movie, loves that movie, and loves uh, comparing me to uh, the uh, medicine doctor there. So yeah, yeah. but that's not really yeah. your kind of fiction, is it? <laughs> no, not at all. Well, it depends on who you ask, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm I'm more of a uh, uh, T. S. Eliot called it supernatural thriller when he was talking about uh, the Anglican writer Charles Williams, and that's those are the kind of things that I. You know, right. Although as I was, yeah. as I was looking at your books, it looked a, a little bit more like, uh, something in between, uh, Walker Percy and Stephen King. Actually, that's probably very accurate. <laughs> that's actually very accurate. I, uh, I had, that's a, that's a new one. I like that. You're um, welcome. You, can, you yeah, can use that. I will take that. Cause you know, uh, I think Walker's had more of an influence than, than the, you know, St. Flannery, although, uh, definitely some of the weirdness comes from St. Flannery, but I, I think a lot of my writing's more interested in the psychological observation and spiritual observations that Walker Percy went through. But the, uh, that's interesting. I, I, that is a first time, but I, I like that comparison very much. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> so we're talking about the power of a story and story is kind of your wheelhouse. Uh, you, yeah. you live in the realm of stories and not, and not just a story for story's sake, but the, the kind of story you're telling is, while it's not strictly allegorical, uh, you're trying to convey something that's true, even though it may not be factual, right? So talk to us yeah. about your love of, of weird fiction uh, yeah. and, and where this truth and fact interplay comes in. Uh, it's interesting. Um, last week, uh, I spoke at the Festival of Faith and Writing on... Um, my talk was called Weird Fiction as Sacramental Practice. Now, keep in mind, the Festival of Faith and Writing is largely Protestant. Um, it's at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and it was supposed to be actually a panel discussion, and two, my two panelists had to bail on me, and um, I had to give a talk to 300 people. Um, within a space of two hours, I had to plan that. So uh, so the idea was, you know, weird fiction, um, you know, to kind of define the two terms, weird fiction... Uh, used to be a catch-all term at the beginning of the 20th century for anything that was a ghost story or paranormal or vampire or sci-fi or fantasy. And then as, you know, kind oh, so of the you, So you write like Twilight then? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about real vampires like oh, oh, uh, sorry. Stoker's uh, Dracula, those kind of things. So, um, Or uh, the movie Nosferatu, if you've ever seen the black and white uh, one, it's, which is actually more terrifying than anything modern that I've ever seen. Anyway, uh, um, so yeah, weird fiction, uh, the way I, I've chosen to use it, really refers to something that's a ghost story, um, a story about a haunting uh, or some kind of thing that has a connection to the real world. Um, and But what, what I meant by sacramental is something that should be familiar to, to Catholics, but also I, I tried to broaden it a little bit. And the idea of sacramental is that, you know, you 
you take a concrete physical thing and it points to a concrete um, unseen thing. So I think uh, in the realm of weird fiction, you're taking a lot of things that are seen around you, things that you see on a day-to-day basis, and you're trying to point to this unseen world that exists right next door to us, so to speak. Um, And so I I think I I got into it because, or I got into writing it when I was a kid. I, um, my parents never let me watch like Freddy Krueger or or Halloween or any of the slasher movies. That worked Um, out well for them. It did. And actually it worked out well for me too, because it developed my imagination so much better than if I was watching that crap, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, you know, cause then I was forced to read like real ghost stories, you know, stories about Bigfoot, um, the Mothman, which is an incredibly terrifying story. And so I developed this weird fictional mindset that helped me. Uh, and at the time I was a Catholic when I was, when I was a kid before my parents left the church. Um, so I had this weird sacramental, weird fiction mindset that that's, I've always had it even as I was a, as a Protestant. So, um, I think those kind of stories, then the reason I write them is, be, and what I want people to see th- is, is sort of shake them out of their naturalistic mindset. Um, you know, something like ghost hunters is whether they're seeing, you know, the show ghost hunters on sci-fi channel. Right. I mean, whether they're seeing something actually or not just makes people disbelieve in it more because it seems so fake. It seems so the way it's kind of manufactured in the documentary style, it makes people sort of disbelieve in the supernatural a little bit. Um, whereas if you tell a fiction story that seems remarkably real, um, and then start throwing in supernatural elements to it, uh, for some reason the people's guards go down and they start thinking through those things. Is, is there a world that I can't see? Is there a world that I can't touch? Well, we know from a fact from science, there is a world that we can't see and touch. So, um, it's not, it's not too far of a step to go even further than that. That's very interesting though, because the very attempt to make that empirical, uh, and to, to be all sciencey in their, in their show, uh, makes it less believable. And the the attempt to make them uh, to throw out the, that third wall of, of disbelief of getting into a fiction story really opens up the ability to, to show the, the trueness of it, that it, the empirical couldn't. That's exactly right. I mean, empirical is always a chancy thing because it, it's, um, it's always under controlled circumstances. It, it's always, um, supposedly a repeatable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why the empirical can't give us as much truth as we, as we'd like to believe. Um, and I think someone who's dedicated to empiricism is going to tell you that, uh, all you ever get from, from study and from science and from that, that empirical method is to disprove something, right? Something's only true until I can disprove it. And so I'm always looking for the thing that's going to disprove that thing that I just believed. Well, the thing is that sometimes is the things that we've supposedly disproved sometimes come back around and turn out to be true um, because we have better testing methods or we have better equipment or whatever. And so I think um, even that is not a completely, <laughs> that's not a completely true statement. So, um, so you know, and I'm, and I'm a big science fanboy, so it's, it's yeah. nothing against science. It's, it's just, I think um, we don't recognize the limitations, I think. So if you were to have uh, just a, a single kind of thrust of what you most desire uh, when you start writing a book, or you, right now you're in, you're in the middle of a series, uh, yeah. what's that one thing that, 
that you hope that they get beyond the pleasure and the excitement and the joy of of discovering a new story and beyond sleep deprivation because they couldn't put it down. What's that one thing that you're really hoping to lead your reader toward? Um, towards a sacramental view of life. Um, I, you know, when I was right, when I wrote the, my first two books, I was still Protestant. Um, but they, you know, as I've gone back through them and looked at them, they're very Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't realize it as much or, or it was unconscious. And so I think I, I'm pushing uh, for Christians who should recognize it, whether you're Catholic or not, and people who aren't Christians at all, um, to start really embracing a sacramental view of the world, even before they know what a sacramental view of the world is. Um, because I think that that was one of the strongest attractions of becoming a Catholic for me or reverting back to the church. Um, was that, was that idea of concrete physical things reflect and tell us the truth about concrete unseen things. So that's, that's what I really want people to get. Now, this is something you've been doing on your, on your blog recently. You, you, work, yeah. you blog at the Pathios network, sick pilgrim is the name of the blog. Uh, yeah. you've been looking at reclaiming those weird aspects of Catholicism. You said, uh, <laughs> I think in a conversation, you said Catholicism seems to be trying to shed the weird right at the time that the world is starting to think that weird is interesting. So talk <laughs> yes. a little bit about that. Well, Justin and I, um, who's my co-founder for Sick Pilgrim, um, you know, we sort of came together uh, partially on this love of weird Catholic practices that have kind of fallen by the wayside or Catholics seem ashamed of. Um, You know, I think, um, and and it's interesting because you, you, and and it's, I think it's an entirely generational thing at times because uh, at Notre Dame, where, you know, Ave is right near Notre Dame. So you, I go to mass there at least once a week. Um, and a lot of the, uh, of the college students wear veils again, um, when they go in to pray. And I told my Gen X, uh, or late baby boomer, early Gen X, uh, friend of mine, editor, and she was appalled. She's like, that's a sign of oppression of women in church and blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and for the, for the Gen X millennial crowd, it's like, a way to concentrate their prayer life. And, um, so it's this interesting time that we live in because I think, uh, post Vatican two hippie Catholics wanted to, uh, <laughs> steal, steal the treasures of the church and hide them away from us. And, uh, the Gen Xers, uh, like, you know, Jess and I are, uh, and the millennials are saying we're stealing it back yeah. <laughs> and, and cracking open this weirdness because I, I think, you know, people look at things like this devotion to the sacred heart, which, Again, Jess and I have both have a devotion to the Sacred Heart, and um, that's a strange thing. Um, you know, we interviewed uh, a friend of ours down in Louisiana. Interviewed a Cajun Catholic faith healer, uh, <laughs> and that 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 post went through the roof. It was it was, and and I think we noticed at Calvin College was um, Protestants were interested in this, and they were digging it. It was amazing. We're going to continue this conversation just on the other side of the break. We're talking with Jonathan Ryan, author, editor, uh, much, much more uh, about weird fiction and about the power of a story. Lots more to come just on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. 
We're talking today about the power of a story and specifically the power of a fictional story, how fiction can impact uh, our nonfiction lives. We started out in that first segment with a, a little quote from G.K. Chesterton about the power of fiction. We're talking in this segment and the previous one with Jonathan Ryan, who is an author extraordinaire and editor at Ave Maria Press. So he's on both sides, right? He's, he's busy writing the yes. manuscripts and then telling other authors how horrible they are and fix this, please. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you're just about to start your own radio show, The Sick Pilgrim Traveling Medicine Show on Breadbox Media. Uh, you can find out more information about that uh, coming soon on breadboxmedia.com. Uh, if you've missed any part of this show and you want to go back, well, of course, you can always get the archives. Just go over to outsidethewalls.com, click that episode archive, and you'll find that there it is. It's up within uh, 24 hours of this show being aired. So I hope you find it. hope you love it. Share it with friends uh, or with enemies if you found it particularly nerve wracking. And uh, we're talking about weird fiction. Now, one of the questions that I asked uh, our guests in, uh, in the first, uh, first segment is to call in to our show and tell us a story, a fictional story that made a profound impact in their nonfiction life. Something mm -hmm. that altered their perception, something that changed uh, the way they looked at the world. What's yours? What's that, that <laughs> defining piece of fiction? Uh, defining piece of fiction. Well, I thought you were going to ask me if I could tell a nonfiction story that's influenced my fiction. Uh, cause I definitely have a few of those. Uh, uh we'll, we'll take both of those questions, but let's do, let's do the okay. fiction first, the fiction story that's made an impact on your nonfiction life. And then we'll flip it around and go the other way on my nonfiction life. Um, wow. Not in your nonfiction uh, writing on your nonfiction life on my nonfiction life. That's interesting. I, I, there's so many of them that I could pick. I'd have to say, um, the screw tape letters by CS Lewis, um, which is kind of half fiction, nonfiction type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, a tie, another one would be all hollows Eve by, uh, Charles Williams. Okay. Um, now um, on that CS Lewis yeah. one, uh, that CS Lewis screw tape letters, there is an album that if you've not yet heard it, I'm going to get yes. it to you. So, you know, dear wormwood by the Oh hellos. Oh, no, I have not heard of, heard oh, of that. Oh, you've got to look it up. Dear, uh, Dear Wormwood by the Oh Hellos. It's a, it's a project album where, and we're going to talk about the power of music next week, but it's a project album where they tell the story of the client from the, uh, the screw tape letters, writing letters to Wormwood. It's nice. Fascinating. Fabulous. Have, have you heard the focus on the family, uh, dramatic presentation was good because it had Andy Circus from uh, oh, the really? guy who does Gotham, who was doing screw tape. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Well, you know, you uh, had, uh, there's, there's also an, one of these floating around out there of John Cleese reading the letters. Yes, there is that one. I've, I've heard that one too, but I actually like the Andy Circus one better. We're so far off topic, man. So, yeah, <laughs> we totally are. That's all right. Let's go That's back right. now. Come on, we, uh, <laughs> you said uh, that there were also some nonfiction stories that have in influenced your fictional writing. So talk to us about uh, where do you draw your influences from and those those components that give uh, more weight to the stories you're telling. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I think um, there's a lot of places I get my ideas Um Coast to Coast AM, which is a great radio show to listen to in the middle of the night, uh, especially on a car ride. Um, reading a lot of ghost, local ghost stories, um, a lot of paranormal, supposedly true paranormal stories. Um, the, the one that really influenced 
uh, three eights to the dead, um, was when I was a pastor in Collinsville, Illinois. And three eights to the dead is your, your book is my first, is my first book. Yeah. Um, we, my wife and I, or my ex-wife and I, uh, owned a house in a suburb and, um, that was a converted cornfield. And there was this huge backyard basically. And the backyard backed up to a bike trail and she was eight months pregnant with her oldest son. And, uh, one morning she looks out and, uh, she sees footprints that coming through our yard. She goes, someone walked through our, our yard. And I said, well, someone probably just walked off the bike trail into the front yard. It's kind of rude, but you know, whatever people right. did it all the time. She goes, no, I want you to go check it out. I was like, okay. So I go out there, no footprints in the front of the house, no footprints on either side, but the footprints stopped at the corner of the house where our bedroom was, which was on the second level. It was a split level. It's like, all right, that's a little freaky. Um, and then I look closer and the footprints were very light on the, um, uh, light on the snow. So my, my daughter who's seven, um, you know, she's very light, small little thing, but she would still break the surface of the snow when she's running. Um, these footprints didn't break the surface of the snow. It looked like someone had walked across the top of it. They were barefoot prints. So whoever was walking hadn't worn shoes and, um, they looked very small, like a kid's print or a, or, um, or a woman's footprint. So I like, this just can't be what it looks like. <laughs> so I follow, I follow the footprints all the way back through the yard that they did this like trail to the bike trail. There was no, to get off, off this bike trail would have slid down. You'd have to slide down, mm-hmm. uh, the bike trail and make a bunch of ruckus in the snow. There were no slide marks, no footprints down the snow, climbed up eight foot, you know, eight foot up to the top of the trail, no footprints on the trail whatsoever. So whatever it was, whoever it was, the footprints started at the bike trail, bare feet, stopped at the corner of the house and didn't go to the front of the house. And you moved shortly thereafter. No, I think, I think we were there a little (laughs) bit longer, but it was, um, it was freaky, but that, that story kind of started influencing, uh, the writing of three gates, uh, four years later. So, yeah. We're talking with Jonathan Ryan, author of Weird Fiction, lots of different weird fiction, uh, and blogger over at the uh, Pathios blog, Sick Pilgrim. You know, you talked just a little bit right before the break uh, about the need for us to to reclaim some of the weirdness. You know, my my wife is one of those uh, early millennials. She's the, probably the oldest millennial out there, but she she decides to wear the mantilla and. Um, <clears throat> Uh, she oppresses me because I'm not allowed to tell her no. Uh, right? So it, it, it is a sign of oppression, just not the way your friend thought. Um, right. Right. But there's this, uh, what I've noticed, and I came from the Protestant church as well, as well, is this, um, this desire of, of the Catholics, many of the Catholics I've met to say to, to other people around them, Hey, look, we're not that different from you. Look, you, we should get along rather than, saying, you know, let's look at our points of agreement and commonality, and yet we are different. There's something uniquely Catholic about Catholic identity. There's something that, that's not uh, vanilla that you're not going to get anywhere else but here, right? Like th- the incorruptibles or relics or any of those things. Yes, that is a part of somebody's bone that we've got, you know, in our altar. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and, and the thing is, is Catholics need to know we're not fooling anybody. <laughs> I mean, um, 
I think I think that the strive to be normal Americans has has uh, diluted some of our Catholic distinctiveness, and I, and I think um, we're distinct for a reason, I believe. And so I, I think, uh, you know, obviously we don't want to see some practices come back, like you know, self-flagellation or anything like that. Um, because I it's think been, that's, that's on the extreme side of things. That's been, there, replaced, there, with, there, that's been replaced with self-adulation, uh, right, which is uh, right. the, the, the cornerstone or, of our culture. Or, or self-hating Catholics, um, of which there are quite a few. So I think, um, you know, I, 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 it, it, it's a shame that, that those practices, some of those practices have gone by the wayside. And, and you know, where Jess and I are trying to revive interest in some of those things and to... Um, we were talking to Loyola Press today about our book and our editor was like, well, you guys are undergoing a reclamation project. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, um, you know, who knows where this will go? I mean, yeah, but I, I think we, that that's kind of what we want to do on the blog. And, you know, for a while when we first started it, we were kind of pulling back our weirdness and we're like, you know, no, we're not going to do right. that. <laughs> we're going to be as weird as we possibly can. And people are responding to it. That's what's blowing us away, I think. Well, you know, I think you, you talked about reclamation. And I think about some of these older parishes or, or even thinking about a piece of art where, hey, there's another piece of art underneath it. And sometimes you you go and you restore it and you're, you're like, oh, you know what? There's a reason they covered that up. Uh, but sometimes yes. you're like, sometimes you, you look at the finished result and go, how did we ever, who, who in their right mind put sheetrock over this mural, right? Or put carpeting on hardwood floors. Right. Well, yeah. It, it's better for the sound. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and I think, and I think that's what we're trying to do. Like you said, there's some practices that should just stay buried. Um, you know, the putting stuff on your tight, you know, things that bite into your leg or your flesh or things like that. I think that's. Um, you know, but the, and I say that at the same time, I mean, there's, there's a sign of faith there, even if it's strange and bizarre. And, um, so I, I think there, there's, but there's still an element of faith there, even if it is a little strange, uh, twisted and weird, you, you know, but yes. I think that each of those practices, as odd as they seem to our current, our current, um, worldview that, that they had their place at the time, uh, and in the culture they were, yes. Uh, to bring about a result that produced faithfulness. We look at them in our context and say, gosh, that'd never fly here. And, and it could be because it's not needed here. That that, that kind of practice is foreign to, uh, to the needs of the individual or of the church at this specific time. Well, and that's why the church calls them popular piety and they're not a, practices that are officially sanctioned by the church in most cases. So, um, you know, the church affirms popular piety, but also realizes there can be you know, like the practices in the Philippines where people actually undergo crucifixions is not sanctioned by the church. Right. We've been talking today with Jonathan Ryan. He's a father, an author, a uh, soon-to-be host of the uh, Sick Pilgrim Traveling Medicine Show, blogger over the Pathios Network. Uh, you can find his books uh, all over the place. i uh, got a book coming up on Loyola Press. You can find them on Ave Maria Press. Just go out and look. Find the weird things that he has to offer you. Uh, join this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to know what you think. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thank you. Thank you for sticking through the break. So glad to have you back. We didn't scare you off with the uh, the talks about uh, bones and reliquaries and Mothman. And, and so, you know, you're, you're a dedicated listener. I'd like to thank you for listening into the show today. If you missed the show and I have intrigued you, Right now that we've talked about Mothman, right? Uh, we were talking with author Jonathan uh, Jonathan Ryan about the power of a story. He's a fiction writer, uh, among other things, uh, and uh, just lots of great things that he had to tell us. Uh, you can find the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com uh, to be a part of that show, to share it with your friends. Uh, and since it is a little bit uh, scary, you can even share it with your enemies and all as well, right? So we're talking about the power of a story and, uh, and the fact that sometimes fiction leads us to the truth better than nonfiction ever could. Uh, and so that brings me to today is the feast day of St. George, who is a real person. Uh, he is, was a martyr, but he also has these really fantastical stories written about him. Kind of like, you know, you, you hear the story of uh, St. Patrick drove all the serpents uh, out of Ireland, and and the empiricist will come to you and say, uh, "Well, you know, there there never there's no record, there's no fossil record. There never were any serpents in Ireland. There weren't snakes there." And the point is not that there were ever snakes there. The point is that think about what serpents are often associated with, right? He drove paganism out of Ireland by bringing in Christianity, and so there is truth even in the legend. And so today is that that feast day of St. George who slew the dragon. So this is obviously my my middle son's favorite saint, either this one or St. Michael, because St. Michael gets the wings, right? Both of them get swords and dragons. Uh, so this is a sermon uh, from church history. We get it out of the breviary today as we celebrate this feast day of St. George. Coming from St. Peter Damien uh, offered this homily. And it's a beautiful short picture putting the, the life and the legend of St. Uh, St. George in context. Dear brothers, our joy in today's feast is heightened by our joy in the glory of Easter, just as the splendor of a precious jewel enhances the beauty of its gold setting. St. George was a man who abandoned one army for another. He gave up the rank of tribune to enlist as a soldier for Christ. Eager to encounter the enemy, he first stripped away his worldly wealth by giving all he had to the poor. Then, free and unencumbered, bearing the shield of faith, he plunged into the thick of the battle, an ardent soldier for Christ. Clearly, what he did serves to teach us a valuable lesson. If we are afraid to strip ourselves of our worldly possessions, then we are unfit to make a strong defense of the faith. As for St. George... He was consumed with the fire of the Holy Spirit, armed with the invincible standard of the cross. He did battle with an evil king and acquitted himself so well that in vanquishing the king, he overcame the prince of all wicked spirits and encouraged other soldiers of Christ to perform brave deeds in his cause. Of course, the supreme invisible arbiter was there, who sometimes permits evil men to prevail so that his will may be accomplished. And although he surrendered the body of his martyr into the hands of murderers, yet he continued to take care of his soul, which was supported by the unshakable defense of its faith. 
Dear brothers, let us not only admire the courage of this fighter in heaven's army, but also follow his example. Let us be inspired to strive for the reward of heavenly glory, keeping in mind his example, so that we will not be swayed from our path, though the world seduce us with its smiles or try to terrify us with its naked threats of its trials and tribulations. We must now cleanse ourselves, as St. Paul tells us, from all defilement of the body and spirit, so that one day we too may deserve to enter that temple of blessedness to which we now aspire. Anyone who wishes to offer himself to God in the tent of Christ, which is the church, must first bathe in the spring of holy baptism. Then, He must put on the various garments of the virtues. As it says in the scriptures, let your priests be clothed in justice. He who is reborn in baptism is a new man. He may no longer wear the things that signify mortality. He has discarded the old self and must put on the new. He must live continually renewed in his commitment to a holy sojourn in this world. Truly, we must be cleansed of the stains of our past sins, and be resplendent in the virtue of our new way of life. Then we can be confident of celebrating Easter worthily and of truly following the example of the blessed martyrs. That homily comes from St. Peter Damien and is a homily about St. George, this this true martyr who has quite a bit of legend about him. Uh, But that legend leads us to a truth. And that truth illustrates for us the power of a story. So what's a story that's made a difference in your life? What's a a piece of fiction uh, that has shaped the way you view the world? I want to know. And that means you need to give me a call. Now, I don't have a call screener, and so it's going to go to voicemail. But I want you to leave me a message and tell me about a fiction, uh, a work of fiction. Could be a short story, could be a book, could be anything along those lines that's made a profound impact on your life. And I want you to give me that call at 252-OTW-SHOW. That's 252-OTW-SHOW. And if you are a numbers person and you need to hear the numbers, that's 252-689-7469. 252-689-7469. Give me a call and tell me about that work of fiction and, and not only uh, what it did, but but how did it impact your life? How did it? What, what character, what story arc, what thing just really grabbed you and gave you a new perspective? You see, when Jesus wanted to get across some important uh, truth, he did it with a story. Right? He didn't sit down and write a catechism, although I'm sure it would have been fabulous. Right? A lot of our theological language, a lot of our theological mindset came uh, because fiction packs so much into it. These parables, these stories that reveal to us the nature of God given to us through Christ, uh, they reveal so much that it takes a philosophy and a theological language to unpack it, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, Sam Rocha on the show, and he, one of, he, he had this phrase that just beautifully uh, points to this, and that's uh, poetry precedes or art precedes metaphysics that we have to be uh, aware of our existence and be able to express that before we can ever think about what that means, right? And so this story, 
whatever it would be, whether it be the parables of Jesus, uh, you know, the parable of the seed and the sower, where he says the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went to sow seed and he threw the seed everywhere and some landed on the path and the birds ate it up and some got, you know, there's this whole scenario and it's a story that you probably are able to finish, even though I didn't, because that story has embedded itself in your mind. It's the power of a story. It comes back to mind. It, 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 we see things, we see the world through that lens. Oh yeah, this kind of relates to what I was getting in that earlier, right? And so this is that that amazing strength. Even Christ recognized it. He didn't sit down and give discourses uh, all the time. You know, you do have the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, you heard it said this way, but I tell you this. But a great portion of the time he spent preaching and teaching uh, comes through the use of parables, of stories that use ordinary things that everybody can can get a hold of, uh, and then uses those things to convey some deep and profound truth. You know, you, you get an agrarian society, you get a person who maybe uh, isn't as educated and uh, they're not going to be able to get the philosophy. You're not going to be able to pick up the catechism of the Catholic church and go, Hey, I understand every word that's in here, right? I feel like I'm fairly educated. I don't necessarily understand every word that's in there. Uh, John reading John Paul, the, the, the second, uh, John Paul, the great Saint, Saint John Paul, the great, yeah, I have to read it with a dictionary. It's beautiful stuff, but it's not as accessible to everyone. And the story, the fiction story, the, the, uh, the, the parable has so much power to be universal in scope, to, to draw everyone in, to tell things in a way that people can appropriate and gravitate toward. Today's gospel uh, illustrates this to some extent. The scene is that we're right in before the, uh, the crucifixion, and Jesus is telling his apostles that he's about to leave them. He's about to have to go away. This is out of John 14. And Jesus said to his disciples, If you know me, then you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to Jesus, Master, show us the father. That will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so we, Jesus tells Philip, I am the living story. You've watched me. You've seen me. You've, you've experienced it. And that has unpacked for you some intangible truth that you couldn't otherwise know. Because you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. And that's the, the power of a story. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media, heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.